Hey, welcome to Planet Psychom. And we are uh, at the end of the year, the end of 2022 here and on our 11th episode. We made it. We made it. We made it a year, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Although, you know, we are on episode 11 and there are 12 months in the year. So we have made some mistake, clearly. <laughs> Or uh, we're going to do it later. Who knows? Right. Yeah. Yes. Um, but for this episode, we thought we would uh, do two things. Um, re- recap the episodes, that the last 10 episodes that we've had. And um, talk about some funny articles that come out in the British Medical Journal in their Christmas issue. Not necessarily in that order. And this was Jason's wonderful idea. I yeah, I mentioned this Christmas, uh, this BMJ Christmas article in our last podcast, I believe. And um, it just got me thinking that it would be fun to kind of it's it's an interesting uh, collection that BMJ does every year. And you don't think of, you know, the the British Medical Journal does not sound like a, um, you know, I, I don't know, a barrel of hilarity, right? It it is interesting to Maybe me not to that they, you. But there are people <laughs> who think it is very funny. Um they have a uh they have a Christmas issue and they've done this, I don't know how many years they've done this, uh, a bunch of years. They get submissions and you know, it says that these should be uh real papers, like um, some of them are more opinions than papers, I will say. Um, some of them include, um, you know, actually study designs and experimental data and that kind of thing. Uh, I'm just going to read from their their page here. It's the soul of the Christmas issue is originality. We don't want to publish anything that resembles anything we've published before, mm-hmm. aside from the, you know, format of a journal article, right? Um, while we welcome lighthearted fare and satire, we do not sp- publish spoofs hoaxes or fabricated studies. So I guess that's kind of the the yes. thing is that they So, so there has to be real data and real empirical data collected. Um, you can't make up the data. Right. You can't make up the data. Um, I do know that there are things that are that are uh kind of opinions that don't actually have data that right. they also publish. So it is there's some flexibility in there, but there's nobody who's making up data to, to put it in there. Um, mm. We should start with that maybe, and then we'll we'll recap our 10 episodes because, you know, memory. I just jumped gonna, into it because I yeah. jumped into it. Because we're going to have to try like to remember. Yes. Okay, <laughs> well, we all picked at least one article. Um, some of us got excited. And picked I got excited. More. We got a little <laughs> excited. Um, so, Jason, why don't you kick us off? We know who the overachiever is. well i couldn't i couldn't choose just one um all right so so i um the reason i picked the um or or the reason i i thought of this was this this paper um that i mentioned last time um and it's and it's an example of that i've used before in some of my talks and um of humor being used employed as a metaphorical device and so i'm just going to mention this paper i'm not going to go too far into this paper but um i'm going to start out with this one i'm going to mention a couple of the other papers that i found and then i'm going to come back to this one because i found something new and it's it's 
Oh, uh, I thought it was super cool. Yeah, I like um, the signposting. Isn't well done, it nice? Sir. Yes. I feel like yeah. I feel like I'm I'm starting to learn something from other podcasts. So uh, so the paper that um, that I've I've cited before is titled "Parachute Use to Prevent Death and Major Trauma When Jumping from Aircraft: Colon Randomized Controlled Trial." And so they they talk about you know. Uh, the objective is to determine if using a parachute prevents death or major traumatic injury when jumping from an aircraft. They uh, did randomized controlled trials. Um, there were no randomized controlled studies of people jumping from aircraft with uh, with and without a parachute. And this makes sense, right? This is a this is a metaphor for randomized controlled trials in clinical studies that there are lots of clinical studies where it does not make sense to have a control group. Like if we know that this life-saving treatment exists and we say, okay, now we're going to divide you into, you know, 50, 50, and this group is going to die. And this group is going right. to get the, you know, the drug. So that was the, the metaphor of the parachute use um, is very effective. And it's a funny paper, right? Well, I, I'm curious, actually, then about this is a this is a serious question. I will signpost that. A serious question. Yes. A serious question, <laughs> um, which always starts by saying it's a serious question. <laughs> well, so I was wondering about so I know somebody here, for example, who was in uh, randomized trials for the COVID vaccine. Mm -hmm. But of course, they don't know whether they're getting the actual vaccine or some placebo right right i mean if if you know the parachute example is extreme or like yeah. a life-saving drug is extreme for a disease that you know will kill you right 100 percent right. will kill you versus getting vaccinated and potentially contracting covid or not that maybe like that could potentially lead to death death if you had risk factors associated right but that sort of seems like a less dire it's, version but the ethics yeah. there are still maybe like i wonder about that i'm i'm clearly not a clinical trials person and I do, i'm not either done that but i wonder about that like, I, I would even go a step further on that sarah because you've got the situation of let's let's keep with the covid example for a moment you've got the situation where you've got the participants who get it and the participants who don't get it right but then you've also got the mental situation that was happening in the country at the time where people were freaking out. Right. You know, I mean, that hasn't been that long ago. So now you have the question of, did I get it or did I not get it? Am I actually gaining protection or am I actually not gaining protection? And that could theoretically take a fairly intense mental toll on some of the individuals having not known whether they got the placebo. It's funny because I just happened to watch the South Park episode where... South Park is a source of truth. Everyone is trying to get into Walgreens and there's a bouncer at Walgreens, <laughs> right? Because they have vaccines and they're trying to like pretend to be first responders or, you know. Anyway, I was just curious about this, like, because there's the, that paper as metaphor takes right. this very extreme case of jumping yeah, out of a plane yeah. with no parachute, right? Versus like, mm -hmm. but what about the gray in between like COVID well, vaccines? It's interesting that you should bring that up. And I'll ask you to hold that thought. Okay. 
that may not that's, that's I may my not be able posting. to do that because you know I, <laughs> I forget things I'm like a like a squirrel I'll I'll, or, I'll you remind know. you of it in a couple of minutes yeah. I'll remind Butterfly. you yeah <laughs> um so so I wanted to highlight a couple of other uh, papers. Uh, one of them was just published this last year, and it's uh, it, so so I felt like this this parachute meta study where they where they found all of the randomized controlled trials of um, people uh, you know with and without parachutes jumping from planes. They found there were none, right? So that exactly is extreme. Um, it's a great metaphor. It is an effective use, I thought, of of humor, like a, a funny metaphor to to kind of demonstrate this point. Um, and then there's a lot of other um, there's a lot of other uh, papers that are published that are you know not they're funny, but they're maybe not as um, oh I don't know not as you know kind of directly useful um in terms sure. of what they're yeah Maybe like not so, as sciencey they're just not as sciencey not as uh, yeah, you know you, you read know. it and you're like okay it's it's funny and it's a it's a study this the one that was published last year is uh ghost in the machine or monkey with a typewriter which is kind of funny because it it plays on all this ai you know you right, have right. ai generating all these different things um they were like hey we could use uh the uh you know gpt3 which is the basis of a lot of the AI language that's um, going on right now. Oh, go ahead. Isn't that GPT-3? I was just at a, a kind of like a friend's house last night um, having, you know, drinks and chatting, just hanging out. And there was a computer scientist there talking about this new bot. Yeah. Is like AI chatbot or something. Yeah. This yeah. AI chatbot that's owned by OpenAI. Yeah, that is just um, it's like so she studies natural language processing and she was saying how sort of incredible this like chat <clears throat> bot is. Um, so I've seen examples on Twitter. Um, so we've, I've seen a lot of positive examples of like, mm -hmm. hey, I asked it this and it gave me this brilliant answer. Um, and some of it looks pretty uncanny, I would say. Um, right. It's called chat GPT. You can integrate it into like coding environments and you can ask it what's wrong with your code. It's basically so the way she described it to me was um, it's like having Stack Overflow, which is this website where you go to answer sort of data now for me, data analysis and coding related problems. Oh my gosh, every every, every coding, time. Yes. every coding, every like, how do you do this in yes. R? I can't remember. And then you, yeah. and then you usually yeah. get Stack Overflow. Right. And like every data analysis question I have is like, how do I do this? And if I ask Google, I get directed to Stack Overflow right, right away. Probably, I mean, partly because of my search habits, right? And, the and then you find the question in Stack Overflow, and then you find all the answers that say, this is not an appropriate question for this Correct. channel. Please yes, post it yes, somewhere else. Yes. And then you follow that to the actual, <laughs> to the actual answer. Article. Right, right. That, this has that been was posted asked, a million times before. Right. That was asked like, you know, five years ago. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Totally. Um, but apparently it's it's sort of like having a stack overflow in a bot in your coding environment because you can ask like you can and it and it re recognizes natural language which is the important part right you could ask it a normal question like you would as a normal human how do i do x or how do it right and then it right. will apparently it is quite good at finding those answers there's some so integration with is, email as well which i was like oh that's automated crazy. email 
does that bot interact necessarily with an internet-based environment or can you have a local version of the bot okay patrick you are now beyond my tech well so because there's a big well there's a big reason for that right because theoretically if you take the coding example right you could jam through some code troubleshoot it fix it up much faster which could increase your productivity but if you work for a company where you have a massive NDA uh, and your true. bot interfaces with the uh, internet, then who even knows what becomes possible to interact with it from another side yeah, or that's from a, a point, yeah. right? And so I wonder Legal then, is going to have some words with you is what you're oh, saying. Yeah. <laughs> but by the same token, something like that could do wonders for productivity in a lot of scenarios. So, so here's, know? yeah. And well, here's a consideration from like a faculty teaching standpoint. One thing that she had said was, well, it's going to make the assignments because she teaches in computer science, right? And it's going to make the assignments a lot more challenging for teachers if they have like, you know, because now your students mm. can integrate this bot yeah. into their coding environment and just ask get the answers, basically, right? So, <laughs> you know, how do you integrate that into teaching and make that part right. of understanding like whatever coding they're doing, but also understanding NLP, right? Natural language processing, which is pretty cool if teachers had time to revamp their curriculum. Yeah. But I, but I think this is one of those cases where I'm not saying that teachers should, you know, immediately jump on this or whatever, but I mean, it is a case that's a little bit like a calculator, right? It's like students have calculators and, and at some point teachers are like, Jason, come on now. They yeah, have they, they have their phone with an app. That's a calculator. Good point. Good point. Um, Excuse but, me. But, have, but, you, have you seen my TI-83? I, I still you. have my TI-83. Thank you very much, Patrick. <laughs> For those <laughs> listeners who have never used the TI-83, oh it is a Hewlett-Packard calcul- HP calculator. Uh, no. I thought TI was no, Texas, Texas Instruments. Instruments. Sorry, Texas Instruments calculator. I wonder, I am actually wondering now what if Texas Instruments still exists. Sorry, Texas Instruments, but, you know. Sponsored this podcast. Calculators have <laughs> sponsored this podcast. Because calculators, I mean, I remember when I was in college and I had to have a TI-83. Like I had okay. to have yeah. some sort of scientific calculator to yeah. go to mm-hmm. my physical chemistry right. class, right? Like, but now I, I guess you just, oh, I'm so curious now about what people are asked to use in, in Calc 3 classes, in PCHEM yeah. chemistry classes. So, so I know my, my, my kids in high school, they are not allowed to use their phones. And so they uh. have to, like for math, they have to have a, a separate um, calculator, like in class and in in tests, they can use a calculator, but they can't use their phone. Interesting. Um, and that's to prevent that probably asking internet. friends or yeah, internet yeah. or stack, stack, stack overflow, overflow. stack yeah. overflow for <laughs> high school uh. chemistry or whatever. Um, yeah. So, so anyway, I'm wondering if that, if that kind of like, you know, old, 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 old school math teachers are like, these calculators are going to ruin everything. I can't, mm. you know, kids are just going to be mm-hmm. able to, punch it in the numbers on their calculator and then they're not going to be able to do it. And then like, 
like the the way that technology moves it is a lot of times it leads right so the right. technology is all there the ethics are kind of like yeah whatever we'll figure out the ethics once once things start to go wrong um, true. i think that depends on where you are in the world right because i think that is the that is the standard in the united states but in europe yes. there's a different mm. let's move fast let's move fast right. and we will pick up the bodies after after we've moved over, right? right? After we've yep. rolled, after the Tesla has rolled over the bodies, we can oh. sweep them under the rug. Ooh. I'm sorry. Ask for, ask for forgiveness, not permission. <laughs> sorry. So we also had a big conversation about Elon Musk, but that is <laughs> an aside. Yeah. Tesla. There are no I political did. views I discussed did. on this podcast. That's there are right. no political views. <laughs> <laughs> Elon yeah, Musk sponsors this but, podcast. But I, I take your point, right? That like yes. before the advent of calculators like TI-83s, people were probably mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, this is going to ruin yeah. education. Like it's going to ruin. But you're right. There is a whole set of skills that comes along with having these um, tools, right? Like right. knowing how to use the tool, for example, that, you know, is I probably think- part of education in google search is a great example right there's a lot of classes in in middle school and high school that are about like not a lot of classes but in a lot of classes they talk about like okay so if you're going to do a google search on this topic how do you figure out what's you know good information versus bad information i don't know how far they go into that but i know that they talk about that can i just say i on the google search i had a student evaluation one time with a comment that said she just tells us to google it and i'm like what are you gonna do when i'm not around right like where are you gonna go for information the encyclopedia britannica right at least i didn't ask you to go to to the library has (laughs) yeah that was shocking this like oh keep telling me to google it i'm like well welcome to the 21st century i mean okay find me a person with a phd that doesn't use something akin to google scholar every day i i use google scholar every day like something akin to that yeah you know and it might not work for various disciplines but whatever the version of that is for you like everybody does it right i mean I've looked up so many buffer concentrations just with Google. Be like, all right, oh, this lab at Cold Spring Harbor does it this way. Yeah, it'll probably work. Let's do it. <laughs> I mean, it's, okay. it's a collection of knowledge, right? I mean, yeah. It's totally. But also, you know, to go on that example with the bot and with calculators, right? There's something about theory that no mm. bot or calculator is going to be able yeah. to touch. And so, but, but the downside to that is it's much, I found, please feel free to disagree, that it's really hard to teach theory without some sort of application in a lot of cases. And so I can see where people come from when they say, you know, this is going to degrade the mental capacity of our students. (laughs) And it's like, yes, in some respects, you know, it's going to make it, it's going to make them be able to do stuff faster than you ever could. But if the theory is still behind it, you're still getting your, your points across, but that's hard. So. And there's the danger of just like pushing the buttons right without the theory, which. Oh yeah. 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 In some fields, like the, the, the models of analysis, for example, um, you know, oh, yeah. you don't really and know what's can... happening, but you're well, like, also, well, somebody you... has done this, so I'm going to push this button. 
Yeah. Also, I mean, as another example of that, you know, if you have a gigantic data set and you want to run stats on it and you go into any given program, you can press like run every model and I'll find the one mm-hmm. that gives me, you know, the good P value or whatnot, instead of knowing which one to pick. Right. And these right, are two right. different things. You yeah. know how to use the computer program, like let's pick SPS uh, or oh, something like that. <laughs> Fine, whatever. Pick something. <laughs> wait, you know? wait, wait, wait. Do you use SPSS? No, but I know oh, people who do. Okay, I was like, Jason, SPSS. Sorry, I, you just took a drink. Um, no, Jason, I, Jason writes everything in Perl. Yeah, I write everything in Perl. <laughs> write everything in Perl. <laughs> That's right. It's encoded Perl though, so it's it's even worse than regular Perl. Um, no, I was trying to remember the the original um, statistics software that I used was like SAS or S. I think oh. it was S S plus. Well, S it was is the, the predecessor, predecessor to R. 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 Yeah, yeah. Okay. Different. I did use that, but a different thing. Yeah. Right. So SAS and SPSS are are both different different companies, and then S is the predecessor to R. I don't know why right. S's are so popular in these well statistics. statistics i figured it out now i figured statistics. it out yes i've walked myself into i've talked myself into it yeah SAS, no um, sas please sponsor this podcast or are whatever i actually moved uh last year all my analysis well 2020 all my analysis from spss to r because spss is harder right it's proprietary it belongs to ibm you have to pay a yeah. Some amounts of money this for is a, it. This is my... a MATLAB problem we were just discussing yes. with Matlab a student other... of mine. Yeah. 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 We found yeah. a we found a great piece of software that was written in MATLAB and can be run in MATLAB. And um we're like, we we actually kind of need to run this for this project, but right. we don't want to pay the license fee for MATLAB. But you gotta so have we're... MATLAB. Yeah. 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 That's yeah, kind of sucks. It does. And so I think I mean, I'm a huge fan of R. Um, the the one thing I think R is one of those things, though, that it's a powerful tool. But if you don't know the theory and you don't know, right, what you're doing, because oh, there's yeah. so many packages out there, so many yeah. things you can do. If you don't know what you're doing, you can get into big, like, big yeah. trouble quick. You can, and you know that's where we get pressing the, the buttons, right? Exactly, pressing and that's where we get to the theory versus you know, button pressing difference. And so I think there's still going to be a place for teaching in that environment. It's just going to need to go at a slightly different pace in a different way. And that's hard to adapt to when you've been teaching a class for, you know, five or six years and you don't want to redo it because you've got the rest of your existence. It'll be uh, teach GPT, right? So you'll Mm -hmm. just have (laughs) the teaching chatbot. The teaching chatbot. We got totally derailed because I started to think about like, we should talk about open science. This is like my new thing. I'm so excited. I will say I am halfway through the title of this paper that I was going to talk about. This seems to be... Yeah, this is like a a trend for us. This is awesome. This is awesome. Okay, Jason, tell us about the paper. uh, Generating titles for Christmas research articles in the BMJ using artificial intelligence and observational study. So they set up this GPT, trained it on um, BMJ Christmas articles, which do have a very uh, satirical kind of whimsical flair. Um, And then they uh, have, then they surveyed a bunch of people on whether or not these were real article titles or not real article titles. And one of the greatest things is that you will we'll put this link in um, the show notes because at the top of this paper, there's a little interactive uh, thing Ooh. that will tell you that will give you a, a research uh, title. So I'll do that right now. Okay. Uh, dis- dispelling the nice or naughty myth. 
colon, retrospective observational study of Santa Claus. Is it a real, real BMJ paper or an AI generated title? What do you guys think? Real. Real. Real? Okay, I'm going to click real. Correct. <gasps> it is a real one. Yay! Well, it's because Sarah, Sarah studies humor and papers and stuff. Sarah would know, so I just went with Sarah. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's another. Here's another wait. one. Oh, wait, go ahead. No, well, I was just going to unpack that. Patrick used a Sarah heuristic for that. I did. Which <laughs> could be misplaced or not, in this case, entirely misplaced because I just did a 50-50 guess. I was like, well, I'm going to get it right or wrong. That's like it's 50% <laughs> chance that I'm going to get this right, so I'm guessing. I don't know. Only I think 40. my Sarah here... I think my Sarah hur heuristic was based on a fair amount of experience given Sarah's research history and publication <laughs> history. So I feel like it was slightly more than 50-50. Oh. Okay, I'm going to do one more and then I'll and then I'll jump back okay. to my original original point. Um, bend it like Beckham or fix them like Florence. Proportional representation of healthcare and New Year's New Year honors an observational study. I'm going to let Patrick go first. I'm going to go AI generated. I'm going to go real. Ooh. Uh, okay, so I'm going to click AI generated because I okay. want to I want to see. Yes. Um, and we'll see who's right. It is a real paper. Oh, wow, Sarah Heuristic holds. Wow. See, I should have gone with Sarah Heuristic, but I went yeah, first. Well, you know, you have 50% chance every time. So <laughs> it's pretty good odds, I would say. It is. It is pretty good odds. We're, we're half. Um, yeah. So anyway, this is a fun, it, it's a fun little app that they have at the like That's Easter egg cute. at the top of their yeah. Easter egg. Christmas ornament. It's a Christmas ornament. It's a Christmas um, ornament. Yeah. So. So anyway, they, uh, there's a lot of fun articles like this. So I wanted to bring it back to the original uh, article about the looking for meta studies of uh, parachute use in uh, jumping out of planes. Right. Um, when I went back to this, um, when I went back to this paper to find the link, it actually turns out I found it. I found a link to this follow-on paper. Um, the follow-on paper they did a study. So this is a randomized controlled trial, uh, parachute used to prevent death and major trauma when jumping from an aircraft, randomized controlled trial. This is the title that I that I read originally that I realized was actually the wrong one. The first one was a meta study. They went and looked for randomized controlled trials. They found none because obvious, you know, because of the obvious mm -hmm. metaphor there, right? This one, they said, okay, um, the objective was to determine if using a parachute prevents death or major traumatic injury when jumping from an aircraft. They performed a randomized controlled trial on private or commercial aircraft. Uh, they uh, had 92 aircraft pr participants aged 18 and over. Um, 23 agreed to be, and be enrolled and were randomized. The intervention was jumping from an aircraft, airplane, or helicopter with a parachute versus an empty backpack, unblinded. Um, the composite of death or major traumatic injury defined by injury severity score over 15 upon impact of the ground was the main outcome measurements. The results were that parachute use did not significantly reduce death or major injury. So how, how is this possible? How is this possible? They apparently conducted this um, study. So their point is that... Um, it was basically yours, uh, Sarah, which is that um, that not all it's not all binary, right? Right. So, so, so you're not 
you're very rarely have a treatment which you're like a hundred percent this is going to save somebody because you don't right right maybe occasionally maybe there are things like that right and so what they did was they first went on these planes and asked people, hey, would you participate in this uh, randomized controlled trial jumping from an airplane? And everyone said no. Um, and then they said, <laughs> what if it were on the ground? And they and people were like, sure. So. Um, oh, so there was an there was an altitude difference. There's the an altitude is, difference. I, I would just say that the pl- planes are still very far from the ground to be jumping <laughs> without anything. Like even with like a parachute's not going to save you in the like 30 feet the plane is from the ground. However, uh, tall. that's true. Let's see what kind I of kind of wonder. I kind of wonder if the parachute actually hindered them from landing properly at that distance. And right. that might have been why they there wasn't a statistical up. difference. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I mean... I am not an expert, but I am guessing you need more than 30 feet to deploy a parachute and for it to be effective. Or maybe it's the weight of the parachute making people's center of gravity different and they're not used to it. They have a photo. They have a photo. We'll have to. Uh, Okay. okay. One other thing I need to say just really quickly. I was thinking about this and then I forgot to mention that like these BMJ articles are behind a paywall. Are they? Oh, I don't see it because 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 my. Uh, yeah, my organization has a subscription apparently, so right. I don't see that. And yeah, I think oh, we're that's gonna a bummer. Have, we're gonna have to take some bummer. of the photos we'll and like to... share them somehow. Yes, Sorry, I think BMJ. that's probably a good idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's some good photos. Um, so this one, this one shows a. <laughs> we'll put them on Twitter. Uh, I don't have enough moderators. A young woman with a, I'm going to assume it's a backpack, jumping from an aircraft, which is a. Uh, which is a bi-winged, like, um, oh. you know, airplane, right? It's like very low to the ground. Okay, so not like a 747. It's not like a 747, like a commercial yes. Right. Jet. It is maybe a commercial flight in that maybe they paid to right, do right, this. Right. And yeah, which makes some sense. Anyway, right. so so the point there is they're making a counterpoint with um, with a real study um, that, which is your, your point, Sarah. So um I just thought that was super funny, but I should, we should move on to your papers because I, we've, we've digressed and a lot and gone down as yeah, usual often. Yeah. And wonderfully. I feel like maybe that is one of our strengths is all of us to one degree or another are a squirrel. <laughs> squirrel. It's definitely true. I mean, we're not squirrels. We're just, you know, squirrels are pretty focused on. We're three squirrels in a trench coat. We are, we are, we are my dog when he sees a squirrel, which is like my head head snaps around (laughs) and all of a sudden he's at the end of the leash and my arm is like ripped out of its socket. So we're just, ah! we're, we're squirrels all the way down. Squirrels, turtles all the way down. Anyway, those are all references. (laughs) If you don't know, you need to look up. Um, Yes. I that is actually your dog ripping your arm out yes. because distracted by a squirrel is a good segue into the segue. paper segue, um, which I believe like security guard. Well, maybe not security guards, but like segue cops get like hazard pay. I believe segue, this is I've heard segue, somewhere. Segue, segue. Hey, we're we're really like quickly diverging. So let's what, what's your 
What's your paper? Right, right, right. My paper. So it has to do with shoulders and it has to do with um, shoulder fractures. So broken I see the connection. shoulders. Yeah. Do you see the connection now? I'm with it now. Yes. Very good. Thank you. Because they fall off of segways or what? I don't Nothing get to do no, with, with the segways. Dog. The actual uh, contraption. Nah, I'm joking, joking. <laughs> um, so yeah, broken shoulders. Uh, so I went through BMJ this morning. Uh, <laughs> and found <laughs> three papers, um, only one of which is a, a data has data, right? So the others are the, of the kind where it's observational or not observational, just kind of like opinion or one of them is looking through nursery rhymes. But this one is called I like that one, the nursery rhymes one. Yeah. Head yeah. injuries. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> this one was published in 2020 and the title Nonsensus in the Treatment of Proximal Humerus Fractures, Uncontrolled, Blinded, Comparative Behavioral Analysis Between Homo Chirgicus, I don't know what that, Accidentus, and Macaca Sylvanus. Um, so really, it's some humans, right, and, and macaques. Um, so... <laughs> What they're doing is uh, looking and comparing how experts in, I assume, physical therapy or um, I was going to say orthodontist, but I meant orthopedic surgeons, yeah. not orthodontists. They deal with your teeth um, like orthopedic doctors, how they uh sort of recommend treatment surgical versus non-surgical for broken shoulders and then if surgical what kinds of treatment and they mm -hmm. asked um experts in germany and the u.s to kind of rate so they gave them these images of fractures these x-ray images of shoulders fractured and they asked them should there be surgery or not first and then if they chose surgery what kind of surgical treatment Right. And so they did this with humans and they did it with some semi free ranging macaques in Germany, which is pretty cool. <laughs> semi, okay. um, semi free. So they're sort of enclosed, yeah, but right, in, a yeah, large, yeah, I was yeah, say, in a large if place. They're in, if they're in Germany, I guess they probably are not free ranging, but. Right. Yeah. It's not actually really like their native habitat. The jungles, well, the jungles of Germany. Actually, I, I. They're enclosed within these specific three beer halls. <laughs> beer gardens. <laughs> beer gardens. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So they're Barbary macaques, I believe. Um, in any case, they're um, the way they got the monkeys to do this was they put equal amounts of Mediterranean sultanas, raisins, peanuts and Californian walnuts functioned as environmental enrichment placed in front of these images. And that's how they got them to select surgical versus non-surgical treatment and then uh, what kinds of treatment. And then they rated how consistent the humans were at um, picking a treatment and how consistent the monkeys were at picking a treatment. And so for um, selecting surgical versus non-surgical, the monkeys performed much poorer than the humans so they were not as consistent within their group as the humans were so that's reassuring i guess reassuring right mm -hmm. that people yes. were able to um say well this is a surgical require is going to require surgery versus not but then when it came to what kinds of surgical treatments 
the monkeys were more consistent within their group at picking surgical treatments than the humans were. So interesting. And and part of the idea here is um, that the uh, amount of surgeries for this kind of fracture has increased over the last couple of years, right? Which may or may not be necessary. Anyway, it was um, there are some. So, really, so yes. No, go ahead. I, I'm I'm interested in what the what like what does that mean? Right. Well, so there are some um, really interesting. <laughs> and, do I, and if I hurt my shoulder, am I going to go to a doctor or a monkey? Yes, so watch out for your dog, right? Like, do you go to a macaque or do you go to a doctor? That's um, right. Probably a doctor, I would still say, since, you know, their recommendation for surgical versus non-surgical monkeys recommendations are not that uh, not that good. Right. Mm. So they're uh, like, yeah. oh, I just like pull, I've just pulled something. It's not really a fracture. Yes, surgery. Get surgery the monkey would say. <laughs> surgery. <laughs> yeah, but only if you can find a very well-ordered German macaque. Right, right, yes. <laughs> yes, right. yes. Yeah. Not US macaques. Not, no, no, no. no. Mm-hmm. Don't just go to the zoo and be like, hey, my arm hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a walnut. Uh, What's up with my shoulder, macaque? So, walnut? Yep. So is my this- shoulder? So is this talking about the is this talking about the inconsistency of human like human experts? Like, I guess it kind of points out that like in something where there's a lot of new I mean, it maybe it's not a new injury or not a new but there might be new treatments and there's a lot of more of these happening. And then experts might kind of like disagree and not not kind of choose the same treatment is that kind of the idea yeah yeah i think so just in the sense of like there's um it's a common injury right it's it's about i think it says like six percent of all adult fractures um and most of it like two-third over two-thirds like 70 percent of it occurs in people who are over 60 years old right from falling for example Mm -hmm. the shoulder is very um you know vulnerable um to fractures um but a lot of it can be treated non-surgically right right, without implants without having pins and screws and so on yet the rate of um surgery has increased significantly um, Mm, for this type of fracture right so, Interesting. And there's a lot of variation, um, geographic variation, what they recommend in like different countries and in different places. So there's not really like a good. Um, yeah, there's not really good standardization for how to treat this. Yeah, And there's way more surgery, perhaps, than is necessary because, you know, it can be if- treated non-surgically. I wonder if orthopedics or, or orthopedists or orthopedists ortho, orthopedic doctors. I think they're orthopedic doctors, doctors or surgeons. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, I wonder if they're threatened. I wonder if they're like right. a monkey is going to take over my job. I will also say that this, um, these macaques are the only free living primates in Europe. They still, hmm. it says, oh. they they live and still roam the vast beach forests of Germany. Beach like the tree, not, not beach like so the sand. So it was, sand. yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they are actually um, native. Actually, interesting. Okay. So, I had no I, idea. Maybe. So I have a, a quick question about this because I'm just thinking about the science of it. And it was, uh, so admittedly, I have not read this paper. But but so you have these macaques and in the first. So I'm guessing that there is an order to the way that these 
were were given to the macaques. First, they were given the pictures to determine whether surgery was needed, and then they were given the determination of which flavor of surgery, right? Yep. So I'm wondering if the consistency among the second set of pictures or determinations was based on the training that took place in the first set of pictures. I guess it's possible. Now, admittedly, I don't know whether they did that because, Ray, if you were going to if you were going to randomize it, wouldn't you also switch directions? You give the untrained ones the second set first. <laughs> so, so here's the problem, too, is they're free ranging macaques. Are they like, OK, return next Thursday. We'll have the second yeah. set. Of- <laughs> yeah. please, please be here at 3 p.m. next yeah, that's Thursday right. and we'll go Come ahead on. and give you the second set. Please do not be <laughs> late. With me because- please do not be go. late. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Well, well, I think I think the case, point is that like, um, is it better than random, right? Yeah, yeah like, sure, do, sure. You know, maybe yeah. not. But I, and also, you know, then you get into weird like repeat measures tests. Yes. And yes. things get interesting. This is also kind of like what I hear from physical therapists sometimes, though. Mm. You know, just that yeah. like they ask you for walnuts. Yeah, sometimes they ask me for sultanas and walnuts, and they're like, let me see, is that a broken shoulder? I can tell you what to do. <laughs> no, just that physical therapy is such and then a... they fling their poo. <laughs> oh, well, we went there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the macaques, macaques are probably are not insulted. I apologize. Yeah. I apologize to all physical therapists that ever... Right. I think you should be apologizing to the macaques, actually. I, I apologize. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Oh, maybe I should. That's a, that's a Christopher um, Walken thing right there. Oh, <laughs> okay, okay. So the other thing I should mention is like then I I found um two different articles. One about nursery rhymes. It's titled "We All Fall Down: Head Injuries and Nursery Rhyme Characters." That's great. It is published in 2021, and um <laughs> the author breaks down some some nursery rhymes the first one of course is humpty dumpty Mm. he fell off a wall um Mm. breaks down some nursery rhymes and talks about the types of injuries that might result from said falls right so i'll read you an example of humpty dumpty um and he sort of likens the yolk to a human brain. So what if a human were to fall <laughs> off a wall, right? So the yolk is anchored within the egg by two membranes, something, something that I'm not going to be able to say, attached to the end of each each end of the shell. The brain is likewise anchored at the base of the skull by the spinal meninges and tethered via bridging veins at the crown. In addition to radial impacts resulting in focal injuries such as shell fracture, the egg also demonstrated diffuse (laughs) brain injuries because the yolk can become scrambled with the shell intact if the egg is rotated at high speeds. Hmm. So he goes through a bunch of nursery rhymes and talks about the injuries that could occur and relates them to human injuries and his um, acknowledgments. I thank my parents for reading nursery rhymes to me as a child and for patching me up when I fell, which is very Aww, sweet. That's hmm. very sweet. Okay, one more. I'm going to do one more and then I'm done. Um, the do last it. one is about published in 2021, BMJ, anticipating the aging trajectories of superheroes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So again, not one, obviously, with data, right? Um, Though they have a method. They do have a method 
uh, audiovisual materials were reviewed by right. all authors, range <laughs> eight hours to over 50 hours per author. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, There's so many Watching movies. every, every yeah. movie and every the TV movie. shows too. And the mm-hmm. TV shows. Right. right. So um, <laughs> they're sort of takeaway and they go through a couple of the bigger characters so they talk about iron man they talk about the hulk um black widow black panther spider-man and then it ends with the future of superheroes i will say captain america actually had a aging uh trajectory yeah, yeah, in true. his yeah, storyline and um are you giving anything MCU. away right now are you are you a little spoiler spo- a little spoiler Agent Carter did too. And spoiler yeah. alert. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. Um, but in any case, the the, the uh, conclusion is that um, the author suggests that the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the superheroes, move their focus to dealing with challenges such as how to provide high quality health and social care across large populations instead of uh, saving the multiverse in some way. They should deal with the realities <laughs> of aging and, and living in this world, right? This would enable people across the multiverse, including superheroes, to experience high quality of life in older age. This reminds okay, me so of... Do we, count, do we count retrospective shots into their youth as insight into their aging? And like, can we extrapolate Tony Stark's aging from his father's aging process? Wait, Patrick, why would we have to extrapolate? Isn't doesn't his storyline continue? Spoiler. Hey, hey, spoilers. Let's I'm sorry I brought this paper up now. <laughs> All of our People five are like, listeners oh God, are gonna what? be like, no, I haven't what? seen any of these movies. But then but then also you've got you've got the Asgard timeline, right? They can be hundreds to thousands of years old. Yeah, Thor was an exception in the paper. They yeah. mentioned that okay. like Thor is an exception. But because, Thor does you know, have... He's lived millennia yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, also, don't the Titans age differently? Gosh, I don't know. And the, watch, the <laughs> Watchers have been into... there for forever. <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You're beyond us. It's You've moved beyond our yeah. nerd, yeah. nerd abilities, Patrick. All right, Patrick. I have questions. What's oh, what's okay. yours? Come on. So, um, getting away from nursery rhymes, but also very much on the same idea of nursery rhymes, I picked a paper from BMJ from 2021 entitled "Heavy Metal Toxicity and Mortality: Association Between Density of Heavy Metal Bands and Cause-Specific Hospital Admissions and Mortality <laughs> Population-Based Cohort Study," and it made me so happy. Um, and so the the title I thought was very clever because heavy metal toxicity you would usually think about as ingestion or somehow intake of heavy metals and then them having an effect like, you know, argyria or poisoning the blood or what have you, right? And instead what they mean is toxicity like lead, to the population. Right? Lead, like lead, for example. Lead is yeah. heavy metal, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We actually just got a piece of um a flatware from a store that said um beware may have reproductive and cancer outcomes there's also the fiesta wear fiesta wear is the ceramic that has uh radioactivity mm. so it'll actually set off the geiger counter and oh wow it's not nice i don't think it's dangerous but you know you can yeah. measure the oh my gosh now i'm very concerned because my cat drank out of 
a Fiesta Wear bowl for years. What was the cat's outcome? It's probably the age of. Yeah. I mean, mine are newer, so they're probably. So if they're newer, they probably don't. I think it's. I think it's a particular age, and probably forties, uh, fifties, before they and were like. If yeah. you go slightly older than that, uh, check out the book The Radium Girls. Oh. That is not an uplifting read, but it's really, really interesting, and. Um, definitely sheds light on the need for uh, workplace safety because these are the people they licked the tip of their pens and then painted with radium dye on clock watches to make them go in the dark. I was going to say this was the watch the watch story. Yeah. That goes back to the 20s I believe something like that. And uh, anywho, anywho, so back to heavy metal toxicity. Uh, But this study was done in Finland because uh, the author specifically cited a quote by um, President Obama in his White House welcome speech for the Nordic heads of state that Finland has perhaps the most heavy metal bands in the world per capita. (laughs) So, you know, the authors use this as a good reason. And so what they did was they, the authors looked through a um, massive online database of metal bands and found all the ones in Finland and then mapped their home base by geography. And then broke up Finland into uh, small territories based on geography and population density and then tracked the entire population of Finland that was, I believe, above the age of 15 and below the age of 70 and within certain – other parameters that were necessary for their study and then assessed mortality and hospital admittance and type of injuries, especially alcohol and trauma related, and then mapped them, their outcomes between 2001 and 2017. And then took these outcomes and superimposed them onto a map of metal of density of metal bands by area of (laughs) Finland. They found that overall um, the general density of metal bands did not tend to have a big difference on outcomes. However, in large cities that had a high density of metal bands, mortality uh, was decreased and mortality specific from alcohol related issues was also decreased. Interesting. Interesting. Yep. So, the, and this was contrary to their initial thought, which was the statement that some of metal has very intense themes that can include destruction, death. Um, a prominent metal group is cattle decapitation, for example. Mm-hmm. So, removal of body parts, dismemberment, etc., and also the ingestion of all sorts of substances that perhaps would go along with a more <laughs> hardcore lifestyle. And the authors then present their mortality data in sort of a counterpoint, which is that the thriving metal scene could increase community and give people more group um, group dynamic, a positive group dynamic mm. that would then hopefully increase outcomes despite the potentially brutal trajectory of an interact long-term interaction with this music. This is funny because in Salt Lake City, there is a um, heavy metal bowling league. I would totally go to that. (laughs) (laughs) But I think, so this is a potentially really good example of spurious relationships, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, This idea that like 
they're you know you measure two variables and they look yeah, like they're yeah, changing yeah. together but actually there's mm-hmm. a third or fourth or other variables that you haven't measured that are causing the changes so like a good example is um increase in during the summer there's an increase in the consumption of ice cream and then there's an increase in the con- in the number of deaths by drowning for example right this and is you, uh sorry yeah no and this if you only that, measure that... the two you might think well oh uh you know ice cream ingestion and ca- drowning are related but actually it's not right the like spurious relationship like... is summer or the spurious so do they mean drowning in water oh or my drowning gosh, just on drowning ice cream so so there's this website this guy has gone through and done has has plotted a bunch of these spurious relationships and they're so funny and i I just reminded me yeah just reminded me you can go through and just like it is so funny so so there's another great article that i that i found a long time ago it might fall under the spurious correlation but they did a really good job of it they they looked in, I believe it was Scandinavian countries again. So there's there's a link um, mm. because they keep one. They keep a, apparently fairly organized records of like mortality and births and that mm. kind of thing. And they looked at the birth month and correlated it with your lifespan and found that people who were born in winter months, I believe, were lived like an average of, you know, two or three months longer than oh. but they, but they had like hundreds of thousands of data points. And then wow. they went and they looked in the Southern hemisphere in Australia or something and found that it was also true, but it was in the winter months in, in right. the Southern so, hemisphere. So, mm-hmm. you know, adding to that anyway, it was, I thought it was a really interesting case of like, there's immunological, ma- you know, reasons why this might be the case, but it, yeah. Wasn't there also a spurious relationship between like number of Nicolas Cage movies out per year? That's and the second graph. The, or oh, like is the, it? Well, oh, it is. I, oh. Yeah, I think it's like the second graph. It has to do with Nicolas Cage. Oh, it's Falling in the Pool. Yeah, Drown yeah, by Falling in the Pool and Nick Cage movies. Yep. Very good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, ju- <laughs> I mean, just to be clear, these are observed variables that look like they're related, but are actually probably associated with some other variable that happens to mm. be driving them not not so, actually related. so to finish out that paper on heavy metal i thought they actually did a really 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 good job with their design and analysis if this had been if this had been not a joke paper it would have been well received it's well written it's well put together it's thoughtful it appears from the math presented that they came to reasonable conclusions you know if this hadn't have been satire i would have looked at it and thought mm, not the paper that i want to read but it's still cool you know yeah. it, it appears to on first blush to a reviewer it appears reasonable that's yeah so i'm now curious about these spurious relationships that are plotted on this website that we will link to in the show notes because okay well, I'm going to finish this thought because mm. how do you find those? Some of these are really out there. So here's a really out there example. Age of Miss America correlates with murders by steam, hot vapors and hot objects. <laughs> the R value is 0.87. That is super high. That's incredible. Do you just like I, find a bunch of data and then like look at the correlation like over I and love, over? Just I like, love that. I love that these 
that these are labeled spurious correlation. I actually think that it's interesting to label them as spurious correlation. And the reason I think it's interesting is because there's no evidence that it is spurious correlation. Oh, no. Yeah. You don't. Ask. It's a vast uh, conspiracy. Of oh, my gosh. Miss America participants. OK. OK. We're, we're moving on now. We're entering the realm of misinformation. So. Oh, so. So let's go back to heavy metal, because right. I found one of the other papers. I said I had three papers. Right, right, right. And I intentionally left the third paper for the last because I thought it it fits so well with Patrick's paper. And Ooh. I'm just going to read the title. And this is Head and Neck Injury Risks in Heavy Metal. Headbangers stuck between a rock and a hard base. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, isn't it? That's good. It's yeah. so good. And I have a quote. I have a quote from this. So they did they did like a biomechanical study and they have like equations and stuff in this. Um, yeah, it, it's a crazy paper because it's like kind of like Patrick's. It's like you read it through and you're like, yeah, I I could get behind this paper as a reviewer, right? Mm-hmm. I think this is, you know, probably mm-hmm. reasonable the way that they set this up. And I'm just going to read this passage that I that I like uh, here. Though exposure to headbanging is enormous, opportunities are present to control this risk. For example, encouraging bands such as ACDC to play songs like Moon River as a substitute for Highway to Hell. <laughs> Public awareness <laughs> campaigns with influential and youth-focused musicians such as Sir Cliff Richard, who I don't know. Um, oh, I do not but know. I, but I'm assuming uh, is some kind of mellow uh, artist. Um, and labeling of music packaging with anti-headbanging warnings like the strategies used with cigarettes, <laughs> training and personal protective oh. equipment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, it's 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 quite amusing. Uh, and like similar to Patrick's, it's like they really do have like they have a model and they have uh, they have equations here and they set up this biomechanical thing. And then they looked at data and then they surveyed uh actual headbangers and you know it's it's pretty awesome yeah i like that i kind of wish that they had a picture in there of <sighs> the sorts of headgear that toddlers wear to ensure that their oh, heads yeah. are round but like with gorgeous metal hair out the top <laughs> you know your your luscious flowing locks of doom like i want to see that that's the so perfect now, now I'm, I'm actually interested in like the, the the this brings up an interesting point because these authors clearly put a lot of work into this. And and if, you know, anyone who's publishing knows that these papers are not, it, it's not like, even when you're just taking observational, you're taking data and, and wrangling it into a form to make these, it's just not a small undertaking, no. right? No. Um, so it begs a couple of questions. Um, uh, one is about funding, and I won't go there. Um, the second <laughs> is about is about um, is about citations. I wonder if there's like an impact mm. to these. I wonder if there's like you could just I, you know I'm sure there's well there's alt metrics on here. We could take a look. At, oh, there are. Point. Yeah. Does your H index is your H index influenced by this influenced specific by set the BMJ? Of, yeah. But this I, issue I mean, it gets back to some of the themes that we've talked about before, even in our last podcast about uh, humorous titles in mm-hmm. uh, uh, Dr. Steven, uh, Steve Heard was uh, did the study mm-hmm. of humorous titles and their impact on on kind of citability or, or citations. And I wonder if like there is some 
something that that is there these seem like they're so specific though it's like you know how are they going to be cited what's the work that is going to continue on from these mm-hmm. right so i also wonder this is not necessarily a good thought but i think it's a thought that we need to consider given the world as a whole is that if you for the untrained eye these look serious yeah you know if you if you give this to somebody and you're like headbanging here's your problems right i think that some of the ones like the trauma from nursery rhymes that one is pretty obvious correlation between folk or uh, metal and mortality a little less obvious if you read the article and you don't realize that this is humor you know and the same has been said of mcsweeney's and the onion and all sorts of other things and mm-hmm. so i think it it sort of at one point you almost enter a gray area of like you're doing such high quality work that it now appears convincing yeah you know because yeah. i think that there's something about satire that um i mean you don't necessarily always write it in comic sans but like there's something often a little bit goofier about it or can be <laughs> and this is just, this just looks like any other paper and it looks this good and they're very, easy to read yeah I, yeah they're very professional yeah it's a good i mean it, it is a good question that i think we've i've no i've raised with with humor is like you know you can do these funny things and and um to a certain audience it might de like you might be decreasing the kind of trust in science because you're like they did this ridiculous study with headbangers in Finland. Like who, like what scientist, you know, what scientist is that disconnected from reality that they think this is a useful thing to do. Right. Or it's a misuse of funding or it's a misuse of funding, which is back to, yeah. Yeah. We're not touching that, but also. Yeah. <laughs> right. But also. Uh, sure. Sure. Um, um, yeah. So well, I, I think- guess, I guess I should probably comment on Please. this uh, because yes. I have a, joke article in the journal of irreproducible results i love that journal it's one of my favorites it actually doesn't show up on my cv because i just looked and for some reason i took it off my cv but i should reinstate (laughs) it on on there come on i should it's a badge of honor for someone it is is, studying science communication and humor I do actually have a joke paper that hasn't showed up on my CV for a long time. And I actually can't find it anywhere online because the Journal of Irreproducible Results, I actually can't find the journal online anymore. It was Hmm. um, the editor uh, at the time was Norm Sperling, who is um, at Stanford. And it was very fun to correspond with him. Like, I'll just read one sentence from his response. He says, you mentioned a ground squirrel. Was it coarse ground or finely ground? (laughs) (laughs) Despite these very minor issues, we're happy to accept your paper for publication in a future issue of the Journal of Irreproducible Results. But this is different, right, from BMJ, because BMJ's satirical uh, issue, the satirical Christmas issue, clearly states that it is not a hoax. It is not a spoof. It is not fabricated data. Right. Yeah. But I think to Patrick's point, that could be. Like there could be something worse about that, like kind of very deadpan, like, I mean, Perhaps, when you make a joke yeah. and the whole room kind of looks at you like, what is he saying? And then you're like, no, it's a joke, everybody. It's so funny. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, my yeah. God, I thought you were serious for a minute. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, 
I don't know. I I think it's I, I think it's interesting too because the Journal of Irreproducible Resor- Results. It's in the title of the it's journal, just, right? It's exactly mm-hmm. that, right? right. Like completely it's in, in the title. The British mm-hmm. Medical Journal has a very different kind of. <laughs> feeling to it and then you're like Mm -hmm. now it's published in the bmj and if you look at the date you can tell like you know there's a paper that's posted on twitter for instance and you can you know you look at the title and you're like who would publish this and then you're like oh it's bmj and it's december 18th because there's some heuristic associated with being in the bmj versus like something called the journal of reproducible results but that's also very yeah that's also very in-group knowledge it's true yeah you know, I mean, I think anyone looking at, at at a journal called the British Medical Journal would, you know, think of it as reputable versus the Journal of Oh, yeah. Reproducible yeah, results, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, know. no, I was specifically referring to the timing of publication versus ah, ridiculousness of article. Gotcha. Like that's yeah, in group specific right. knowledge. Yeah. Um, but it seems I, I, like. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, it seems like if you're looking, if you've got a paper, you know, a paper version of the journal is the way that you're getting your information, which is. Uh, you you look at it, you're like, the British Medical Journal, this is our Christmas issue. And then it has all the stuff in it. And then you open it up and you're like, oh, these are great articles. Um, whereas the way that we do this is like, um, you know, like albums nowadays. What's an album? It's a collection of songs that goes together. Why why is that a thing? My kids are like, albums don't mean anything, right? Oh, um, that's interesting. Yeah, it's, uh-huh. they're, they're a little bit anachronistic. I mean, people still make them and it still makes sense. But it's like, you don't have a physical thing that is a you know that you can basically i guess you don't really need that anymore with like streaming music and things like that it just i never even thought about that yeah anyway um it's and and i feel like it's similar with journals right there is this asynchrony or asynchronous delivery that things are Uh just kind of you know the out the 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 papers are out there and that kind of raises some interesting questions I mean, we all publish papers, but I always feel like it's not really quite published when it's online first. You have to wait till you get an issue and a volume number that goes in the citation (laughs) before it's like really published, you know. But obviously, that's not true because most people are reading it online anyway. Yeah, and preprints, man. Yeah, let's go. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so I just what I wanted to say. Yeah, let's not open that can of worms because we are over an hour in. We're over time. I know we're like way over time and we haven't even started talking or recapping our episodes or looking ahead to next year. Mm. So we started at the beginning of this year, right? Uh, our first episode we recorded on the 30th of January, 2022, and it's it's been it's been a ride. I'm not sure how we have what what month did we miss? I was wondering that too. So we had our first episode, which is, hey, here we are. How do we get here? All three of us. Our second episode was our recap from our conference, the American Association for the Advancement of Science, where the three of us and Dr. Chelsea Parlet Pelleridi and uh, did I say that right? Mm, Sorry, Chelsea. I think so. And um, Dr. Mike Cacciatore were on the panel with us at AAAS, and so we did that. And then we had Dr. Monica Fliumoher, who I got to see virtually for two days this past week, which was super fun. Um, Then we talked with Jason. I know, she's great. We talked with Jason about his work. We talked with uh, Dr. Shupei Yuan about her work. And then we talked with Anthony Dudo and John Besley about their upcoming book. And then... Everyone's favorite episode, I think, Julia Kroll. <laughs> that was awesome. 
That was awesome. And then Dr. <laughs> Stephen heard. Um, but we did miss one, and I can't remember we when missed that one. was. It feels like it was like June or July, maybe, that, but I don't know. I think Good that enough. is right, because I, I was probably traveling during that mm. time you, in yeah, a different went, time zone. I went to you Malaysia. You the country. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so that might be why. Um, but we did record yeah. one in June right before. I think we missed July. I, I was I was observing that all our guests have PhDs in some form, but I think that has to do with the people we know. I think that there were some suggestions. Well, so the people, any the four people that listen to this can't hear the uh, <laughs> the preparation that actually right? goes into this, and we're calling you know, it preparation loosely, right? <laughs> like loosely calling it preparation. <laughs> But We're really, giving away all our secrets right now. Yeah, right. It's just a bunch of email threads that are like, hey, what about this person? What about this person? What about this person? And I'm pretty sure I know that I suggested someone who doesn't have a PhD. And I think you all suggested several others as well. So I think yeah. next year that probably is a place to get a couple people in for some more different or I would, representation. Yeah, I would love to get some uh, graduate students or Ooh, yeah. even undergrads. Well, wasn't, one of them, wasn't one of them an undergrad, Jason? Didn't you suggest somebody? Or they reached out to you? Mm, maybe. I thought it was like for a research maybe. thing. Maybe I'm a liar face. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe liar I'm face. not remembering things because squirrel. Um, <laughs> liar face squirrels. <laughs> liar face squirrels. <laughs> Always. Uh, I think it would be interesting. Like uh, graduate students would probably have an interesting perspective if, if there was someone either in you know, in a science communication graduate program or in a science program that has some element of of science communication, that would be awesome. Um, I, I forgot I, to mention to y'all, I went, sorry, before I forget this because squirrel, Jason, um, <laughs> I was at the uh, American Society for Microbiology, North Carolina branch meeting, and they actually started off the meeting with a graduate student who was working on a program. I don't think it was a fellowship, but there were some of them like that for science communication and policy. Ooh, and that was the oh, beginning wow. of the meeting. That's told cool. it to That's everybody, great. said, hey, this is an option for you. You know, wow. to all the all the people that were there, which was more than twenty, so it was you know I think it was a couple hundred, but it was it was interesting because I I saw that you know two years ago that wouldn't have I wouldn't have bat an eyelash been like right. okay this is something that I don't care about blah 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 you know <laughs> and now it's like oh you did the thing because in all fairness I yeah. feel like this is really coming up in a lot of disciplines at meetings yeah yeah I mean AGU American Geophysical Union has a big science communication branch. That's happening like this week or next week, December right? December 15th, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think in Chicago, maybe, that conference? I think so. I had, There's a bunch of people that I work with that are going, and oh, I've, I've never been. Um, I went to AGU when it was in Hawaii, and it was joint with the Ocean Sciences Conference. Uh, That's when okay. I went. And that was in like 2000, shoot, like six or seven, maybe? Hmm. I don't know. Anyway, it was it was very large, very overwhelming for a lowly master student. Big, I think it's a big meeting. Yeah, it's it's definitely a big meeting. Um, anyway, sort of like looking ahead. That's what we can think about for next year. But also just asking our five listeners. Hopefully there's more out there. <laughs> um, maybe to tweet at us <laughs> if you're still on Twitter. Oh, no, we're going to have to move. Um, Are we going to Mastodon? No. 
I'm not Please, going to no. Mastodon. I, I just, I don't want to start another social media I don't. account. I know, right? I feel like Maybe it's like, just moved to like, a lot of sunk cost. Yeah, it's a lot of sunk cost. Anyway, um, reaching <laughs> out in some way, since you know who we are and our emails are probably easily found if you are not on Twitter and don't want to tweet at Planet PlanetSciCom, just mm-hmm. suggesting things we might talk about. Carrier that, Pigeon. Carrier Pigeon yeah, Carrier works. Pigeon mm-hmm. always works. Carrier Pigeon always works. Yeah. Agreed. Wait, are they not extinct? Uh, oops. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I, I read something about <laughs> Carrier Pigeon. I think, being yeah, that does sound kind of does sound kind of familiar. All yes. right, never um, mind. Not Carrier pig- Pigeon. Not Carrier um, Pigeon. Dang yeah. It. Snail mail. Um, <laughs> Clone one, bring it back to the world like Jurassic Park, and then send yes. it. Yes. yes. Yeah. Because nothing can go wrong. I feel like at some point we should do some like sciency breakdown of movies. That would be. We funny. should. Except we that should. I have no expertise in any of the like Interstellar, right? Like in the in we the actual find... science of the movies. We should find somebody who like who consulted on a on a somewhat scientific movie. Like, um, I know that like contagion, that was one Mm. where they had like an actual virologist, I think on the, right. I'm we, I bet we could find somebody on Twitter. Who's like, Hey, have you ever consulted for? Yeah. That'd be be fun. I think I know someone. The national academies Ah. had a, had a, this, I, I think it still exists. The science and entertainment exchange where they would, Look up mm-hmm. kind of scientists with producers and directors and people in the entertainment industry to consult on movies. So mm-hmm. maybe someone there. I mean, there's if you think back, like I don't know about y'all, but like during grad school, postdoc, whatnot, you would occasionally see a movie and you would see a shot of a science lab and you'd be like, that doesn't belong there, that doesn't belong there, that doesn't belong there, that doesn't belong there. Like, no, why would you have, you know, it's always colorful liquid too. Right. In these like, oh, masks, yeah, which like, you know, when I was working in the lab, I'm like, it's all no, clear. It's all clear. Yeah. It's, yeah. Clear. it's really one, uninteresting. One that I remember, I think it was on the Big Bang Theory or something like that. And it's like they had this lab and it was a particle physics lab and there's just a centrifuge. I'm like, why are you using a centrifuge? In a particle physics lab. <laughs> like, what are you? I mean, maybe there's a use for it that I don't know. We're going to get some mean tweets <laughs> yeah. from particle physicists being like, you're wrong. Probably. <laughs> Um, but you know, they were doing, they were doing a whole bunch of stuff on the whiteboard and it looks like, it looked like they were theoreticians instead of experimentalists. Right, but they have a centrifuge. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, this is all part of, you know, I think the like science communication and like entertainment space is really interesting because it's so interesting. Like the entertainment part is so widespread. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So I read this. I read this, I don't know, blog post or maybe it was a newspaper article or something. Newspaper. Newspaper is an old thing. If you guys don't know, it's like (laughs) actually a physical. Anyway. Wait, do um, they make albums of them? They make. Yes, they make albums of them. Um, uh, No, it was about it was about uh, it was about uh, friends and uh, Ross Geller's character on Friends and or. Ross Geller yep. is the character. Yes. Okay. Right. Um, <laughs> I got it. I got it. I got um, it and, and how it's like really does kind of a disservice to scientists. Like there's oh. multiple places where he's basically the butt of the joke or he's, he's basically all the things where science comes in are mostly kind of in the negative, right? They're for funny effect or f- to show that scientists are like, you know, stodgy or 
Yeah, I thought it was interesting because, it, yeah, it's that entertainment and, yeah. and perception of science. Well, and the one I remember, which is a lot, where a lot of people get their information from, right? right? Mm. Well, or their like perceptions of scientists, at least, right? Yeah, so, mm-hmm. right. I and the one I remember most about Friends is the one where he is arguing with Phoebe about evolution. Do you guys remember that? <laughs> yes, yes, so I do. There's this episode I, I can't I can't remember what I it's called, but don't. Phoebe is just. Phoebe doesn't actually say she doesn't believe in evolution. She's just kind of trying to get a rise out of Ross, right? Because he's so adamant and so yes. sort of emotional about this idea. Because he thinks that she doesn't believe in evolution, even though she does. She just I, didn't tell him that. And so the whole time, he, the whole episode, every time you see Ross and yes. um, Phoebe on the screen, they are arguing about this right like ross simply will he's not trying let to go. yeah he's, he's trying, trying to convince he's her trying to use evidence to convince exactly. her exactly yeah and the, the scene i remember most is when he has you know those toys that you push with your thumb and they collapse right yeah. mm-hmm. and he's pushing these toys and he's going opposable thumbs <laughs> like that's a piece of evidence right and so yeah so that you know the Ross Geller character and um, most of the Big Bang Theory characters, I would argue, are pretty maybe negative stereotypes of scientists. And the other sort of perspective I have on the Big Bang Theory is none of the scientists really were women, right? To where like later in later seasons, you see women scientists, but for the most part in in the Big Bang Theory, in its conception, the women were not scientists it was penny who was a waitress yeah. right yeah like not smart enough to be a scientist um um it is it is <laughs> worth noting that what's her name uh mine yeah yeah is a- actually was in a she PhD, PhD program for neuro- yeah she has a phd right. in neuroscience but look at but- how she is just like portrayed though no, right? totally. like mm-hmm. her and i think bernadette is also a scientist bernadette's a thing. scientist yeah but like yeah. look at how they're portrayed I mean, Bernadette's whole thing is like a walking OSHA violation. <laughs> like, basically, I mean, th- so many of her jokes are, you know, oh, that would be like splicing in this DNA from Ebola and putting it into that. <laughs> but we would never do that in lab because that is wrong. <laughs> And like that was the whole thing. So this is oh, something. But, but that also, I've... they're like socially awkward. Oh, they yeah. are. Um, uh, Maya yeah. Bialik's character is like portrayed as unattractive and right, just like mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, no, no, that's true. Also, I think that a lot of the jokes in many shows, not just Big Bang Theory. I don't just want to bag on Big Bang Theory. That's I true. do want to bag on Big Bang Theory, but I don't just want to bag on it. <laughs> Some of it is, is funny. That... It Agreed. is funny, but yeah. Agreed. Um, but a lot of the time when you have science and science on TV, the joke is that the scientist said a science thing. It's not the yeah. content of what's said. Right. It's that they responded with a science thing either due to social ineptitude, lack of cues, what have you. Right. And has no- <laughs> see, it has nothing to do with what the content was. It was the fact that, you know, right. you did the nerd thing. And that's yeah. the right. joke. Yeah. There's also the flip side of that i want to say the portrayal of science as the solution to every mm. everything like right the scientist has come yeah. up with the solution that'll solve our problems you know mm-hmm. so. the downside though is that whenever you see sheldon do that it's always a failure in That's terms it. of non-nerd groups 
Like so they take have, anything that works in the nerd groups and they bring it to the non-nerd groups and it just disintegrates. Right. Yeah, that's true. There was a there's a movie, um, and it, there's a spoiler. Um, I'm not sure if I should give another spoiler. Wait, is is it's the spoiler not, that there's it's not a movie? Marvel? No, no. Uh, it's well. Let me let me do this. I will tell you okay. what the the setup of it is, and then I won't say the name of the movie, and okay. then it, people can guess. Um, so it's a zombie movie, and uh, it has a action heroy kind of guy. And um, one of the things is that as he's becoming more of the action hero kind of guy, he has to transport the scientist into a zone where the scientist is, you know, this is the guy that is just like, um, you know, going to solve one. all the problems. He's, He's the, the only, only one. one right? right. And yep. uh, so he is, he gives him a gun and the scientist walks out of the plane and drops the gun and shoots himself in the head and dies. That was, that was what I thought was the funniest part of the movie. It's very dark humor, obviously, but <laughs> the funniest part is that it sets the movie sets you up to believe that the person who's going to solve all this is the scientist guy. Right. And then he's, you know, so inept with firearms um, that or anything he, else that is not or science, anything else. Right. Yes. Like so mm-hmm. inept and with I, like in, in a way, I thought that was funny. And I also thought it was a a popular slapdown of science, which is like now yeah. this guy who's not a scientist can come in and figure it out and does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I feel like there are very few scientific portrayals of scientists in movie and TV where they are not accompanied by a social or societal hardship. Like they always have to be in some way off kilter not belonging or whatever and also i don't necessarily appreciate that you gave away the entire plot to the double helix <laughs> well, so this is the thing, right? why, why is the scientist never also the action person like the action character yeah and tony stark but tony stark is an engineer so and mark ruffalo has the hulk that's true, but he has to have a separate persona in order to be the That's action guy, right? Also Could true. It be yeah. the action guy as yeah. um, oh, Dr. She Bruce Hulk is Banner. This is true. Again, though, separate personas. That <laughs> mm, right? Doesn't She Hulk out in the courtroom? I actually haven't seen She Hulk. I haven't I, seen it. I looked I at it and was like, I don't know if I'm going to watch this. Instead, I watched the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special, which oh, <laughs> I haven't seen that yet. Has Kevin Bacon in it? Um, spoiler uh, gotta watch it. <laughs> spoiler. So, uh, so many spoilers. So many spoilers today. But no, I just, you know, like the portrayal is is very yeah. interesting. Well, I mean, also the same deal, right? We talk about Tony Stark and we're holding Tony Stark's character up as this, you know, scientist who's good at stuff. He's an extreme, potentially abusive alcoholic and has hardcore PTSD. Right. And yeah. he's also just like, like Super privileged. Kind of I mean, he's got a ton of money, right? Like, like he's just like in the upper echelons in terms of privilege of society. So it's not. It's like not this... normal people are scientists. Is the... yeah. it, especially in superhero, like Spider Man, for instance, is a sure. sciencey person, right? Um, I, I feel Wait, like there's is he a. Though? He's a he's a high school student who's really into science, and in some. So maybe in the comics in he is, versions, but I don't know that that came through in the movies, right? Because in well, the movies so he like he is sciencey in the movies, but and I don't know that how much he does. But I know in yeah. some of the like the comic books or some some storylines, he actually made the web shooters, right? He oh, he formulates the okay, and I think he did that in the movies um, or the most recent iteration of the 
in well because i thought in like the most Spider-Man. recent versions like tony Wait. stark is the one that is anyway this yeah. is yeah well okay. so so but i think it's interesting because i think that um uh, in necessarily so science is not the the focus right it is right. a it is a magic thing that happens and it is a lot like james bond with you know q come is q is it q yes right? it's q is it mm-hmm. yeah here's this amazing thing that we developed in the lab and James Bond is like, cool. And I'm going to take it. I just know how to use it. I don't I just know how, know how, it how works to use it, how it was made, yeah. but I can use right. it really well. But, but you don't see science as solving the problem. You see this like Tony Stark example, which is, you know, there is, you know, the montage of him figuring things out, which I guess is good. Um, and then you have this magic thing that, he comes out right 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 know. it's sort of like yeah it took tony stark two weeks to figure out right whatever, whatever. like right. something whatever. very abstract yeah. and yeah. difficult you know but <laughs> like it's, it's yeah. never been done in the history of you know science right, and engineering right, and tony right. stark figured it out right mm-hmm. which i think it also adds to this idea that science can solve problems like quickly right so we think about think yeah. about the vaccine for example the COVID 19 vaccine mm-hmm. right so, like people <clears> think and and maybe this contributes to mistrust of the vaccine. I don't know. But people think it like showed up just like that. Right. 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 Just like, oh, and suddenly we had this thing. But no, I think people perspective is kind of perpetuated by these like entertainment stories mm-hmm. where we see right this montage of Tony Stark in his lab or whatever. And then, mm-hmm. you know, two minutes later, right in movie yeah. time, two weeks or whatever, he's got this new thing i mean product and user product that is going to save the world you know i mean even to go farther than that you see it in in culture as a whole right i mean there i just saw an article yesterday the day before that there's a potential vaccine that elicited some level of antibody production for hiv and Mm -hmm. people have been working on an hiv vaccine since hmm, 1980 give or take right and we haven't had one and then you know BioNTech shows up on the scene and here's your vaccine right Right. so it looks like the movies whereas the reality if anybody's been paying attention for you know the preceding 32 or so years is that you have this other virus that you didn't get a vaccine to and you still don't have a vaccine to it i mean you've got you've got prep but you don't have a vaccine yeah Oh, there's so many themes that we should revisit in in future episodes. I do think the entertainment one would be interesting to talk more yeah. about, even if it means that we have to go through and watch eight to 50 hours of Marvel movies. Who's to say we haven't all done that? <laughs> yeah, I've already done it. I've done my I've time. I've already done it. Yeah, I, I am, cannot I'm watch actually, a few I'm actually, I feel like I'm at the end of my, Mar- I can't, I, the new movies coming out, I'm just like, I don't, I'm almost have a visceral like i don't want to watch them oh. and, I, and that's sad because i think there's some good ones right yeah. but i'm like i'm kind of done with it um so, and i think there's I, other people yeah. who probably feel the same yeah, which probably. i like them I, I i will say they're the whole yeah. thing as a do you think I people like feel them. that way about star wars too though i mean that's yeah yeah um well this they should anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic robots and ai uh, that's that's an interesting thing i wonder if that is going to shape how what people expect robots to be mm-hmm. like we've got these new um like food delivery robots on campus and Whoa. they're really they're hmm. re- they're not i think they've started maybe in the summer but they're really adorable they're these little white robots and they have a little orange flag and they potter around on the sidewalks on campus and they bring your food to you 
I've seen students on campus like, you know, because they have sensors, right? They're not going to run into things. And so you can stand in front of the robot and it'll change directions. And I've seen students <laughs> essentially bullying these robots where they would stand oh in front gosh. of them in groups and see what they would do. Right. But of course, like this thing in my mind that says, oh, well, my brain that says, these students are bullying robots. You can't actually bully a non, I, I don't think. Like, I'm assigning mm. anthropomorphic qualities to this robot that is literally just a box, a plastic box it on depends. wheels. With I don't know. It how, depends how, on what you think of as bullying, though. Is bullying that's true. the act mm -hmm. or is bullying the reception? Oh, I or see. Both. Yes. Mm. Yeah. But, but you could also. If bullying is the act, then you can. No, but you could also think of this as as students trying to explore the limits of the technology, yeah. right? Because mm -hmm. they're trying to see, like, yeah. how, like yeah. how close do I have to get to this robot in order to make it change directions? How it's like I think about this when my Roomba is going. Yeah, I hate vacuuming, right? Like the Roomba, I'm just like, you are so dumb. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you you can't even find your little dock. You bump into one yes. thing and you're like, pan it looks like the Roomba panics and turns around. Anyway, I was just kind of this um, idea of ascribing anthropomorphic qualities. We've sort of mm. it's been ingrained into us from all these movies, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look at look at the Joaquin Phoenix movie, Her. You know, right. I never saw yeah. it. And then what this happens to like the, the technology, the AI technology, right? Like exactly. You know, when when so, you know, yeah. Maybe those little food delivery things have an advanced enough AI that they do feel bullied. Maybe they do. Or Maybe. they ascribe the action to bullying. Feel probably <laughs> is, is the incorrect verb. Uh, it, uh, yeah, I think that I, I I feel like this. Yeah, this rabbit hole or the squirrel is is a really interesting one um, because I think it is it is difficult to. It, can you ascribe feelings to other people? Do you know that? You know, people oh, right. perceive things differently. And in one part of the world, you know, one view of the world, you could say other people don't have any feelings and I'm the only person in the world that has feelings. Obviously, that's it. I mean, that's maybe psychopathic. But, happened. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like that. that's how you other other cultures to make it OK to kill them. Totally. Totally. Anyway. But actually, and one thing. Now we're at Blade Runner. <laughs> oh, gosh. Now true, we're at Blade Runner. This is yep. true. Yeah. Yep. I was actually, you know, to bring it to bring it into something else that I was I've realized one of the things that, you know, the five and a quarter listeners don't get to see is the incredible group chat that goes on during a meeting. <laughs> and one of the things that I think is really valuable about that is that we get titles for episodes from it in so many cases. <laughs> And, and I, think, I was looking back at the titles and I was like, y'all are smart. Yeah. These are good. Well done. A plus. Pat on the back for everyone. And I think we our our chat just has um has our title for this episode. Loquacious squirrels. Oh yeah, definitely. Done and done. Yeah. And I think with that, we should probably wrap it up here and say probably happy holidays to our I'm hoping eight listeners. Um mm. And we will see you in the new Delicious year. Till ten next yeah. year. The, yes. the listenership has gone up throughout each instance. In <laughs> right, we're going to aim for ten listeners next year. Ten Here listeners. we go. <laughs> All right, happy holidays, and we'll see happy you in holidays. the new year. Happy holidays. <laughs>